tonight, um, I want you to turn to the New Testament book of Mark, Mark chapter 3 tonight, Mark 3. And, and here's what we're going to do tonight. Um, I just want to share, and, and I'll prove it, I don't have any notes tonight, it's, I'm really just sh- sharing some things from my heart, um, and then I want to just share a little bit of vision of what the Lord has been putting on my heart and for, my, for me and my family, and I'm even have my wife come up and share a little bit, so boom. Don't worry, she's not teaching you. Don't get all worried about that. Um, <laughs> Let's pray. We're going to be in Mark chapter 3, verse 13 and following, but um, let's just pray real quick, and then we'll we'll jump in. My Lord, I I love you. I'm so humbled. Every time you let me stand up here and open the Bible in front of your people, it's like the greatest privilege of my life and scary at the same time because your word even says don't let a lot of people be teachers because there's a greater condemnation and judgment. And so, Lord, I really want you to guard my mouth tonight. I pray that you'd help me just to have your heart, really that your word would just speak for itself. And, Lord, that your presence would be here with us. And what I really desire is that for each one of us, Father, we would love you with all of our heart and soul and mind. And we would follow you, Lord, in any way, shape, or form that you call us to follow you. Lord, that you wouldn't be some supplement to our life, but God, you would be the supreme focus of our life. And I pray, God, that you would speak to each one of us in here individually and collectively as a church, Lord, um, for your glory, for the kingdom of Jesus, and in his name we pray, amen. Amen. So I want to share with you guys a, a text that actually I think I shared about three years ago when I first got to the island, and Steve was daring enough to give me the mic, but um, uh, this is out of Mark 3, and it's one of those passages that, for me, it's, it's one of those things that keeps me very centered. Like, um, I don't know why it is, as believers, we forget the things we should remember, and we remember the things we should forget, you know what I mean? And this is one of those passages where every time I read it, it doesn't matter, like, it, two days could go by, and same thing, I'd read it again, and the Lord would just, like... Bring me center again. Um, it's just one of those passages the Lord has used in my life to, to just bring a lot of clarity um, to who I am and what I'm doing and what the Lord's called me to do. And so hopefully it'll be a, some of that for you tonight. It's out of a Mark 3, and like I said, about verse 13. And the context of this is it's early in Jesus' ministry. He's got literally thousands of people following him already. He's stirred the pot down in Jerusalem, cleansed the temple. He's back up in the north in the Galilee, and he has been doing miracles, healing people. There's masses just following him. He's already interacted with the disciples. He's already called them out in a very kind of a general way. Um, but now we're coming to the place where he's about to call his disciples to be his disciples. I like call them out of the crowd to be the twelve. And what we don't have here is in Luke's account, and I believe Matthew's as well. I could be wrong on that. But um, we read from one of the other accounts, at least, that Jesus goes up onto this mountain, and he prays all night long. He seeks the Father all night long. By the way, there's a little aside application for you. Don't make any big, gnarly decisions until you've gone and spent 
some significant time with the Father. Amen? And Jesus himself goes and spends time with the Father, no doubt hearing from him, seeking him, trying to, you know, just zero in on the guys that the Father has picked. And so this is that, that next morning, and that's where we'll pick it up in verse 13. It says, and he went up on the mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boangeres, that is, the sons of thunder. Um, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, uh, Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. So there's the list of guys, and we're not, I'm not going to do some exhaustive list. It's, it's real fascinating, if you want to someday, just to go down that list of guys. and <laughs> It's kind of shocking when you look at the list closely who Jesus chose to take over his entire enterprise of ministry. Um, gives me hope. Um, but what I want to zero in on right now is just that first part, guys, um, this calling. I want to talk to you maybe about your calling a little bit. Because there's a general sense in which we've all been called in, in, in the idea of salvation, right? Like, it's, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And, and I kind of read this, and forgive me, I'm not trying to read into it, but I like in verse 13, here's what it makes me think of. It says, he went to the mountain, he called him whom he desired, and they came. They responded to him. And, and you know, again, making that parallel, I think for probably most of us in here, we heard the Lord call our name. I don't know what your testimony is, but you responded to him, and you came to him in salvation. You put your faith in him, and you're born again. But I like this next thing because in verse 14, we have, at least for me, just, just such a simple focus of what our calling as believers is. There's two things, and you probably have already noticed it. It says in verse 14, verse 1, or first part of verse 14, he appointed the 12 whom he named apostles so that they, um, or he called the 12 so that they might be with him. Just pause there for a second. I don't want to go too fast over that. He called the 12 that they might what? That they might be with him. Now, there's context to this, right? He's calling those guys that they would literally be with him. They would eat with him. They would drink with him. They would sleep next to him. They would minister with him. They'd travel with him. They'd go everywhere he went. They were his posse, his disciples. They would just be with him. But I want you to notice that because, guys, that is also our number one calling. We talk a lot about calling. What's your calling, brother? What's your calling, sister? Let me tell you what your number one calling is. It's to be with Jesus. Jesus wants you to be with him. Amen? In fact, you know, so much of Christianity, sometimes even pastors up here behind the pulpit make the mistake of maybe not saying it outright, but maybe giving the connotation that Christianity is what we got to do for God. Can I remind us of something tonight? Christianity is not what we do for God. Christianity is what God has done for us. Christianity is what God has done for us, everything he's done for us. Anything we do for him comes out of the response of what he's done for us, the overflow of what he's done for us. And let me remind you of this as well. God did not save you to make you busy. 
And God did not save you to make you a pastor or make you this or do that or give you a job to do. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. This will blow your mind. Jesus saved you because he loves you. And he wants to be with you. He reconciled us to the Father. That he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He has reconciled us. It was a broken relationship. Our relationship with the Father was broken because of our sin. And there was nothing we could ever do to fix it. So Jesus came. He lived the life we should have lived. And he died the death we should have died. And he reconciled us to the Father. And guys, we could stop right there. We're not going to stop right there. We could because that's what it is all about. Your number one calling is you get to be with the Lord. Amen? Amen? And I'm convinced anything we do beyond that needs to start there. It needs to come out of the place of just being with Jesus. When's the last time you were just with Jesus? It is so easy, even in ministry, even doing good things, to get sidetracked and forget that the main thing is relationship with my Lord. That, you know, when I first got saved, it wasn't like, okay, you got to get busy. It was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm saved. Like, I just wanted to be with him, amen? And somehow, in the busyness of life and in endeavors to do good things for God, and nothing's wrong with that, I guess, but I think the Lord needs to remind us from time to time, like, here's your number one calling. It's just to be, not to do, to be with the Lord. And I need to hear that probably every single day of my life because anything I do for the Lord, really, unless it's springing out of my time of being with the Lord, oftentimes it's just me, you know, out of some sense of I need to be busy or something, doing it. And so often when I'm just with him and I've got an ear to hear what he's saying and I'm, I'm walking in lockstep with my, my good shepherd, I end up doing the things that I, I need to be doing. So having said that, that's our number one calling. But, but, but notice what he says after that. He, he, he called them that they might be with him, but he also called them that he might send them to preach. So there is, a, there is a doing component to this. God did call them to be with him, just like he, he's called us to be with him, and he sent them. Again, there's context to this. He's sending these guys on these little mini operations, these little short-term missions trip, really, I think, in preparation for, like, the big kahuna, like, um, send-out of the Great Commission. But he's, he's, he's empowering them to cast out demons in this case and this and all this stuff, and he's sending them. But guys, just like the first part of this calling is for us, the second part is for us as well. Here's what I mean. We are a saved people, and we are a saved, and listen, we are also a sent people. We've been called primarily, yes, absolutely, to be with him in relationship. That is everything. That's the, that's the whole ball of wax. But at the same time, God in his grace and in his sovereignty has invited us into his gospel work. And he didn't have to. Like I said it earlier, I'll say it again. It's humbling, but God does not need us. Sometimes you'll hear like missionary people and stuff like, he needs you. He has chosen in his sovereignty and grace to invite us into his work. But he doesn't really need us. I think we're more of a liability sometimes, honestly. Um, 
but he wants to use us. He invites us in. And, and guys, this is something that I think we need to recapture in every aspect of our lives, that we are a sent people. That is just our DNA as Christians. We're sent. What do you mean we're sent? Well, think about John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus is risen from the dead. He peers to the guys. Peace, breathes on them, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does he say? Just as or even in the same way that the Father has sent me, what? I'm sending you. By the way, two different words he uses there. He says, the Father sent me, and he uses the word where we get the word apostle, but he uses a different word in the present tense when he says, but I'm sending you. And the word to send there could be translated, I'm dispatching you. Like on a mission, I'm sending you, you are a sent, like the Father sent me, I'm sending you. We're on a mission from God, you guys. Mitch, Lou's brother's reference? Okay, I thought you'd get that. Anyway, we're a sent people. And then, of course, you have the Great Commission, right? Where Jesus says, let me read it so I don't butcher it, but there in, in, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I think of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to receive power. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Amen? In fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, let me back up. It says this. It says, um, Luke says, O Theophilus, I've written to you before about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And by virtue of the fact that he used the word began means that Jesus is continuing to do his work. Jesus ascended up to heaven and is at the right hand of the Father, but he sent his Holy Spirit. But he's now continuing his work of seeking and saving the lost and, and, and bringing redemption into a lost world. But now he's doing it through you and through me. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the church of Jesus Christ is continuing that mission. We're a sent people. And I just want to talk about that for a moment. Go back maybe to uh, the Great Commission part of it where Jesus says, go therefore make disciples. Probably, I'm not a linguist, but in the research I've done, probably the best translation of that is not even as you go, but literally would just be going, disciple the nations. Going, disciple the nations. So, um, every single one of us as believers in Jesus Christ have been called to be a part of his mission, without exception. That doesn't necessarily mean, in fact, I would even argue the point that the overwhelming majority of believers in Christ don't go anywhere except for home and to work and to food land and to the beach and because the idea is, is that we are not necessarily all called to go somewhere else, but we are all called to live a sent life, sent wherever it is we are. And the idea is to live lives that are kingdom-minded, kingdom-focused, realizing I don't just work at this job, but I have been sent by God to this job because there's people that are around me that don't know Jesus Christ. 
I'm a sent mom because there's kids under my roof that need a mom to nurture them and love them and bringing them up in the ways of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a mindset of sentness. Does that make sense? That we live our lives not for us building our kingdom, but we have a life that is intentionally being lived to further the kingdom of Jesus Christ and to be about his work. And that translates into every arena of our lives. And I think we do that through proclamation. I think we do that by telling people. Sometimes, uh, you know, we we say, well, I'm just going to live a really good life. That's cool. But if you never actually tell people about Jesus, they'll just be like, that is a really nice guy on their way to hell. We need to do it through proclamation. Whenever the Lord opens the door. Last night I was laying in bed with my son, JJ. I didn't want to disturb him. And we're just laying there, and he was super cuddly. It was like one of those super cuddly nights, and he's all like all in the nook, right, right in the butter, right there. And we're talking, and we had just read the Bible story. And I was just saying, you know, buddy, God loves you. He loves you so much. And, and, and I'm just, and I'm, he's like taking it in, unlike right now. Just taking it in. And, and I found myself, I just sensed the Holy Spirit being like, just keep going. And I just was like talking to him about the things of God. Just talk. And the point is, I'm not trying to be the hero of that story, other than to say like, um, we, we are furthering the kingdom in the very context of which we live in our daily lives. Whether it's parenting, whether it's working, whether it's all that, through proclamation, telling. It's also through demonstration. We've got to live what we say we believe. Because if we just pro- proclaim and we don't have a lifestyle that backs it up, well, none of us are perfect, but it has to be on the same trajectory, right? Like we need to be living a way that is demonstrating what we say we believe. And so this is how we live for the kingdom of God. This is how we live as sent people is we realize that we are a part of God's work of furthering the kingdom of God. We do that through proclamation. We do that through demonstration. And I think we also do that through participation. And what I mean by that is, I think of Philippians chapter 1, where Paul's like, I just, he praises God every time he remembers the Philippians. Why? For their participation in the gospel. They were ones that were praying for him. They were ones that were financially supporting him. They were ones that were sending people to go encourage him. And he's just like, every time I think of you, I'm just stoked because you participated in this gospel. I went, but you participated in that. And, and I think as believers, we need to be those who are participating, not only in our context, what we've been called to do, but also to have a bigger picture of what the Lord's doing in the rest of the world as well. Amen? And so our number one, first and foremost calling is relationship with Jesus. Don't forget that. But at the same time, you're a sent Christian. I'm a sent Christian. We're to live sent. I heard a stat. It was from a reliable source, but I have no idea where he got it. So I'm not even going to quote who I got it from, and I can't verify any of it. It just seems like a made-up stat. But it was like one of those where like one out of 100 Christians are some way involved in um, active work, gospel work of like getting the gospel out. One, even if it's two or three or 20, Guys, the call is on every single one of us to intentionally be a part of his kingdom work. It's going to look different for everybody, but we're all on the same mission. Amen? And so I want you, as part of tonight, what I really desire for you to do is two things. I want you to rekindle 
your first calling and to know that you've been called to a deep, real relationship with Jesus. And every, don't even worry about anything else until you get that handled. Just the other day, somebody asked me, what's the deal with this idea the Bible talks about coming back to your first love? And he was re- referring to uh, Revelation 2. And we just talked about how, you know, like when you just first experienced Jesus and that love that you have. So that's first and foremost. But secondly, are you living a sent life? Are you living sent? I'm not asking you to, 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 I'm not just saying, get busy, get out. I'm saying, what is Jesus calling? And if you don't know, that's rad, that's great. Go get alone with him and say, Lord, how can I, in the context of what I, how can I live intentionally for the kingdom of God? How can I bring Jesus into my marriage, into my, into my parenting, into my business, into my going surfing, into my whatever it is I'm doing, how can I bring the kingdom of God and live with you on mission for the kingdom of God? Amen? Now, having said all of that, it is also true that God will at times shuffle the deck. God will at times shuffle the deck. I keep thinking of JJ. He's, we play... We play go fish every night, as you should, and right before bed. And he's just, he watches us shuffle, and he's just intrigued by it. So he grabs a de- a half the deck over here, and he just goes, and puts them together. There's no shuffling actually happening, but it looks awesome. Uh, sorry for digressing. All I have to say is sometimes God shuffles the deck. Sometimes he will say, I want you to come over here. I'm going to put you over here. But, but guys, it's individual as as the Lord decides, but God does send all of us, but sometimes he sends some of us to different places. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about tonight. Because uh, I want to give you an update of what, how the Lord is sending uh, the Beal family. And this is where I get me get a little shaky, so forgive me. Um, God sent us here about three years ago after pastoring a, a church that I was sent to 18 years before that, in 1999, I was sent literally from my home church, Gate Christian Fellowship in Southern Oregon, the great experiment. It was kind of like this. Why don't you just move up there and start a church? Okay, you, you realize I have zero training, zero Bible school, zero anything, and my pastor was basically saying, perfect, go for it. Um, by God's grace, I grabbed my wife and my three baby kids, and we moved to North west corner of the state of Oregon and started a home Bible study, and by God's grace, it blossomed into a church of hundreds and hundreds of people by his grace, and we were there for 18 years, and at the end of that 18 years, actually way before that, the Lord began to stir in our heart that we would be leaving that church, and it was a long process. We handed that church off to my good friend who was our, our college pastor at the time, and he took over. His name's Chris Suits, and he's doing a fantastic job at Coastline Christian Fellowship in Astoria, Oregon. And then we came here, um, but the Lord is leading us on again. And that's what I wanted to share with you guys tonight about. Um, But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just kind of drop the bomb of where we believe God's leading us. And then I'm going to back up and give you my backstory a little bit. And I'm going to have my wife come up and share a little bit too. So we believe with all our heart um, that God is... uh, calling us and, and sending us to somewhere very unfamiliar for us, but we believe um, we're going to be moving to Germany. 
Um, because of the surf, we're just, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, nothing could be more different than Kauai, than, than the country of Germany. Um, we believe that that will probably ha- be happening early next year, but we are going to be here. We'll stay here at the church until uh, November, where we're going to move back to southern Oregon for a short period of time and then transition from there, Lord willing, to uh, the mission field of, of eastern Germany. And what I'd like to do, um, do you want to come up right now or do you want me to just to give the, the spiel and then you can, you can come up? Okay. I'll, give, I'll let her come up in a second because it, otherwise you're just going to stand here and everyone's going to look at how pretty you are. So, um, so let me just say this is like, that may sound very like dramatic. Germany, like where did you get Germany? Like we, but we, we just like had a map and we went like that. No, I'm just kidding. We didn't do that. Um, there's actually a lot behind this. The, the, the stirring about Germany actually far preceded our move even to Hawaii. This is something that has a lot of history with my wife and I. And let me just back up a little bit and give you kind of the genesis of this. First of all, very interesting, interestingly enough, um, when I was in high school in Southern California, I took almost four years of German. Why? I don't know. But now I know. Um, it's helped a lot. That, that's a joke. I don't hardly remember any of it. But, um, but reverse a little bit to, the, uh, to about... 2013, I wanted to tell a little story about my wife's brother. Her name, his name is Nick. And um, bear with me. It's a long story, but it's a really cool one. In about 2013, that's about right, um, her brother was working at a children's hospital. One of the young uh, families there, their, their child died of leukemia. And after the death of that child, that family kind of was kind of going around just helping promote uh, bone marrow donation. That makes sense? So my brother-in-law, who was working there at the time, um, just decided out of the goodness of his heart to apply for that project or whatever, and he put his blood in the system, whatever. Some time goes by, and it's an it's a international pool. I don't know the right words for it. Um, and there was a hit of a young girl in Germany. It was like a 99.9% match of this 23, 24-year-old girl who's dying of leukemia in Germany. So he goes in. They do the procedure. Simultaneously, they're chemoing her practically to death. And they, well, I was going to get some water, but it's not down there. <clears throat> they, uh, they ship the bone or the plasma or however they do the procedure now. Bottom line is, is that they do the procedure and it takes. It works. In fact, it, they know it works when they go to take, her name is Jenny, take her blood, and it shows up as my brother-in-law's blood coming out of her. Um, she was literally saved by the blood of my brother-in-law. And so it's miraculous, it's wonderful, it's this great thing. Well, evidently in the program, there's this deal where you can wait a period of time, and then after that period of time, the recipient has the option of wanting, you know, can contact the donor. So she does, she contacts the donor, my brother-in-law, Nick, they begin this cool correspondence with the families, and you can only imagine the families are deeply thankful for that donation of, of, you know, to save their daughter's life. All that to say is they offer to fly my brother-in-law to Germany. My brother invites my 
wife, she's in her heart says, nope, Jason needs to go on that trip. He's always wanted to go to Germany. I go on this trip, and for two weeks, I get, I get to, by the way, I get to get off the plane with my brother-in-law and look into the eyes of this young German girl and her family as they're weeping, looking at the guy who saved her life. She's got like a tattoo that says, an angel saved my life. And he's like instant hero of the village they live in in eastern Germany. The papers are coming out. They're interviewing him. We got to share at this old church there, and he got to share just how his blood saved her. The blood of Jesus can save you. And people are good. It was awesome. Um, we, we were just surrounded by their neighbors every single night, and it was, it was amazing just able to share the love of Christ um, as they drank copious amounts of beer and, um, <laughs> and just talk about Jesus. And, and it was an awesome trip. And, then, and I was just like, this is so cool. I have no idea why I'm here. I'm stoked for Nick. And I'm so, but I'm, I'm connecting with these people, and I'm getting to know them. This is so cool. And, 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 and they're showing interest in Christ. Other, they're just very open, but they're very skeptical at the same time, and just very authentic. And I'm just eating it up. And I'm like, this is, why did I even come on this trip? I'm just kind of like third wheel on this thing, whatever. And... So that trip ends, I, I fly home, I get home, I'm literally like a day or two later just jet lagging on my couch, and I get a call um, from a friend of mine who at the time was a head of a really large missions organization called E3 Partners. Um, gosh, his name is uh, Tom Doyle, and he's, he's actually written a lot of books, Killing Christians, Dreams and Visions, does a lot of work in the Middle East. Um, he calls me and he says, I don't know why, but your name is just on my heart. And we're doing this missions trip to Germany in a couple weeks. Would you be interested in going to Germany? And I'm like, bro, I'm still jet lagging from the last trip to Germany. Yes, I want to go. So the, the, the thrust, and this is 2015 now, by the way. So the thrust of this is um, we are ministering to uh, refugees. If you guys remember, it was during that time with Syria and everywhere else, and ISIS was just going nuts, and, and the refugee issue was massive, just flooding into Europe, and there's refugee camps, and these people, and it was just like this ripe opportunity to share Christ with these people. So we got to go and just love on these folks. I got to go to these um, refugee camps. I met people from Syria, Afghanistan, Iran. Um, we would invite them and love on them and feed them a meal. Uh, we got to just have this coffee shop time, and, and I got to just play music and share my testimony to like 40, 50 Muslims in that room and just dialogue with them afterwards, and just it was an, a fruitful, awesome trip just loving on these, these uh, poor refugees that had lost everything. That trip ended, but before I went home, what I did is I rented a car, and from Berlin, I, I drove down to the little town of Sangerhausen where I had connected with this family. I was like, I'm all the way over here. I should just see him again, you know? I drove down, and while I'm there, I have one night to be with him, and while I'm there, um, Jenny, who is the, the, the gal that was the recipient and the connection and all this. Her and her mom were talking, and she says, uh, in her broken English, actually, she, she's learned a lot since then, but she says, I, I want to get baptized. I was like, what? I want to get baptized. And I'm like, well, okay. And, and so I'm like, like the pastor teacher in me is like, 
Well, let's talk about what that means. Baptizo in the Greek means, no. I'm, I'm like, I just want to make sure. So I just start going through the, the story of like Acts 8 and the Ethiopian eunuch and like why do we get baptized? And like it's an outward expression of an inward reality. And I'm, I'm just sharing Jesus with her. And she's like, yes, all those things, yes. And I'm like, okay, the next issue is it's late October. And it's really cold outside. And they have a swimming pool, half drained. And she's just, we're just like, tomorrow morning, let's do it. So I get up in the morning. She comes out. I get to just share Jesus. The family's there. I get to baptize her. She comes out of the water. Hallelujah. Amen. And I have to get in my car. I get raptured to Caesarea. No, wait, that was Philip. Um, so I get in the car. I go back to, to, uh, to Berlin. I fly from Berlin home. That was it. But something was in my heart that was really heavy. That here's this, these young believers. Here's a village, and here's people that, you know, we don't like the church. We just skip, go to another one where they teach the Bible. But there's no Bible teaching churches anywhere in that area. It's kind of a trip, too, because, I mean, if you know anything about Germany, it's like, it's like got deep, deep history for Christianity. We got to go to Wittenberg where, you know, Martin Luther put the 95 Thesis and like, it's just dead religion. For the most part, I'm not saying there's not Christians there, but what I'm saying is I was overwhelmed by the fact and the need for there to be pastors, for there to be churches, for there to be something. Why don't you come on up, Regina? I'll have you share a little bit. And that really birthed in me this thing as I began to share with with Regina. And let me also, uh, let's clap for her. First of all, she loves this kind of stuff. Um, the other thing that was really interesting, and I'll, I'll share this one last thing and then let her talk a little bit, um, is right when I got back from that second trip um, from Germany, it just so happened that's when our, our annual men's retreat happened. And it, the whole topic of that men's retreat was prayer. And we just spent a lot of time praying. And at the end of that retreat, um, somebody say, said, can we pray for you, Pastor Jason? And I was like, no, I'm good. No, I didn't say that. Never say that. Be like, yes, you can pray for me. So I, I got in the circle. And it was so humbling. The Holy Spirit was there. And there was like 40, 50 men pressing down on me, praying over me. And one of my good friends, who was a deacon at the time in our church, who is a very orderly guy, super like not one that just says things, but very thoughtful, very mature in his faith. And while we're praying, he says, I feel like the Lord is telling me God's not done with you in Germany. They didn't know anything about what I was wrestling with and what I was thinking about. And I just remember breaking, like literally collapsing because I knew the Lord was speaking to my heart. And since that time, there's been all times, and then, and then I guess one last thing, excuse me, honey, is um, where this really came to a head for us is at the beginning of this year, um, we had a, a few days of prayer and fasting. And at the end of that three days of fasting, um, my good friend Andy Ziesmer, you guys remember Andy Big Tall, energy guy, leads worship, okay? He's also the president of AJesusMission.org, which is a missions-sending organization that worked with churches to just kind of be the logistical arm to help send missionaries. And he just randomly came with a visit, him and the other, like, CEO dude, whatever guy that runs the ministry. And we were just hanging out. He starts talking to me about Germany. 
and what the Lord's doing in Germany. And I can't explain it. It was just something is exploding in me. And I'm like, you have to talk to my wife. Tell her these same stories. So he tells Regina, and, you know, it's one thing for me to get excited about something, but when my wife is excited about something, that's when you pay attention. Um, because it's not always that way. And I had never seen her react like that. I was just like, whoa. She's like, that's it. You know that's it. I'm like, I know. And now, a lot's happened since then. There's been lots of prayer, lots of fasting, lots of, probably not as much fasting as I'm letting on. Um, there's been a lot of counting the cost, weighing things out, thinking things through, crying, thinking, planning. Um, but that's where we are. And we feel at this point, if we don't ne- take this next step in November to go back to Southern Oregon and kind of launch from there, that we're really being disobedient. It has nothing to do with not wanting to be here or things here. It has everything to do with us just trying our best to follow the lead of Christ. And we openly admit that we're holding it with open hands saying, this is what we think you're doing, God. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act, right? So God gets to move us as we go, but to the best of our ability, that's what we feel like is next for us. So, yeah, stay up here, don't leave yet. Okay. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention as well is just kind of the vision, because a lot of people ask, well, what are you going to do? And I'll be real honest, we don't have like this super like, we're going to do this, 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 and this. We're taking like step A, and then God will show us step B. But our, our intention, and God could totally left field us or do something different, is to just go and live and be and live as Christians and talk about Jesus and just do life. And, and I know how I'm gifted. I know how I'm called in certain ways, but upon a lot of advice, some of which our friends Joey and Rebecca here, they were missionaries in Germany for nine years, which was another awesome uh, thing to they just happen to move to the island, you know, at the same time we're dealing with this. Um, um, but really just, we have to just allow the Lord to do this. And um, I know not, not everybody gets that. A lot of people are like, well, you got to have, what's your plan? Do this. Listen, our, our plan is to go be Christians and, and just see how the Lord opens the doors. And if that, I, I suspect it will end up in a home Bible study. And I suspect uh, it'll have something to do with that. Discipleship's going to happen one way or the other, but we want to allow it to be very organic. And um, and plus, we're at least six months out, so a lot can happen between now and then. So we're just trying to be very uh, open-handed uh, with that. And one thing I do want to add, too, and, and this can sound very self-serving, it's not meant to be. Um, I really believe this, that it's, you know, the vast majority of us are not called to necessarily go anywhere. But God does send people out. But the work is for the whole body. And it's absolutely impossible to think that we would be able to go out and accomplish anything without the body's help. Does that make sense? And I'm not just talking financially. That's obviously takes money to do things like this. Um, it takes a lot of money, actually. But it's way more than money. It's, it's, way, it's praying. And, and, and we say that like, oh, yeah, we'll pray for you. But, but it's like having people that are committed to praying. It's about contact. It's about staying connected. It's about checking in. It's about um, really participating. Like I said earlier, when Paul says that the Philippians participated in the gospel work. And so one of the things I just want to plant the seed right now is... Um, 
maybe the Lord's stirring your heart. Maybe the Holy Spirit's saying, calling you to do something. Maybe it's not moved to another country, but maybe there's something in you about where you live and work right now. Or maybe the Lord's saying, you know what, I've always had a heart for Europe. And, and, and the post-Christian culture that it is right now, and, and I can't go, but you are going, and I'd like to maybe be a part of that. And we're going to, what we'd like to do after the service, if you're interested in just finding out more and then maybe in the future being connected like a newsletter and other ways to help, we want to get your name and email. So uh, Kim Schaefer is going to have my computer, and she'll just type in your um, name and email. I didn't want to use the church one because I don't want to blow up people's emails if they don't really care what's happening in Germany. So... Um, if you want to be involved in that way, we'd love to have you do that. But would you, would you begin to pray maybe about how the Lord may or may not have you team up with us in some way uh, to, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to a part of Europe that is desperate for it? So um, we're out of time. Um, Regina said we needed this, this time here. You may look at it from the perspective that God called us here to, to serve and be a part of this church. That's true, but you have no idea. You have no idea how we needed you. And just after 18 years of the grind, to be able to come in and just sit and be taught by Pastor Steve, Pastor Steve from day one grabbed me and just brought me in like he knew me. The other leadership guys were like, who is this guy? He's like, he's fine. Just trust me. It's all good. Um, and Mike and, you know, Bob and you got, I mean, the whole team really have just loved us so much. Um, Scott and Diane, I mean, everybody just, now I got to call it every single name because every single one of you guys have been awesome. Um, but we just, we're not leaving tomorrow or anything, but I just want to express to you how much we love you and how much we need you and how much healing happened in our hearts, in our marriage, and in our family. And you were a massive part of that, and you didn't even know it, uh, but the Lord was using um, this time. So that's it, guys. That's what's going on. Next week, we're going to talk about bodily fluids in Leviticus, but this week, <laughs> this week we're talking about the kingdom of God and missions and um, I was going to ask Pastor Steve to come up and, and pray for us. And 